I am so woefully underprepared for this. You are? <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> So I'm Christiane. And I'm Greg. And we've had a book club for about 10 years. Yeah, good good decade. And we uh, we read a lot of books and sometimes we talked about them. Uh, mostly we just got drunk and gossiped. But at the sad death of David Bowie, we were reinvigorated in, in reading inspired. books. Re-inspired. And we started reading through David Bowie's list of 100 most influential books in no sensible order. In mostly nonsensical order. And we spend time rambling about what uh, the books might have meant to Bowie. <laughs> I think rambling is a pretty good word to describe what we've done. <laughs> not not making a whole lot of sense or adding to anyone's enjoyment of the, of the literature. Um, but enjoying ourselves as we do it. Quite a bit. So what, what did we get up to this time? So um, this book is... I think unique in our canon so far. Yeah. It's one of the only ones we have read before as a book club. As part of the book club. Yeah. 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 In our in our decade. And I believe we cast back in our archives. Oh, yeah. And, and tried to remember when we read it. And I guessed, I think, 2010? And I guessed 2013, I think, or tw- 12 or 13. Yeah. And indeed, it was 2015. It was just last year. Yep. <laughs> So um, we apparently have managed to forget about this book entirely in the space of a year. Including, uh, we forgot to mention what it was called. Uh, right. What is this? <laughs> it's good podcasting. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Clink. <laughs> but, <laughs> this book is uh, A Confederacy of Dunces. By John Kennedy Toole. And it, uh, yeah, it's Pulitzer Prize winning. Posthumously. Posthumously. Uh, Posthumously. Also, also hippopotamously <laughs> published. <laughs> so, uh, Tool died um, by his own hand in 1969, and then the book was published 11 years later in 1980, and won so the Pulitzer. A long time. Yeah, yeah, 11 years, and it won the Pulitzer Prize the following year, 1981. And it's interesting because I think, well, not to jump too quickly to conclusions but i think one of the things oh that's what we're here for all right so let's jump to conclusions it is very much a book of its time Mm -hmm. in in what it talks about in the way it talks about it and and the humor of it um while it's a it's a funny book it is a very funny late 60s book Mm -hmm. maybe not so much a late 2010s book (laughs) a late trump era book (gasps) Maybe, How maybe that's jumping ahead. Dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I, there has been a hashtag that's taken over Twitter, hashtag Confederacy of Dunces, which has taken on a whole new meaning right. than the tool book. And, and I, think, I think the tie is, I think the hashtag probably means everyone else but me is stupid. Mm-hmm. Which is quite appropriate for the book. Yeah, the, the main character, Ignatius Riley, believes that everyone else besides him is a completely benighted idiot and he's the only person who knows what's going on Mm -hmm. um and so does everyone else in the book i think 
pretty much. He's just most vocal about it. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else is kind of coming from the same perspective. Everyone's fools and cretins, and if they would only see his way and his his intellect, then... Which he describes as his worldview. Oh, yeah. Based on... Well, he, he considers himself an intellectual, um, self-styled philosopher, uh, lives in his bedroom in his mother's house, and just writes in his notepads, his big chief pads, and masturbates to the image of I'd, his I'd, dog. I'd like to uh, to warn any any listeners who want to read the book, skip page 43. <laughs> just tear, tear it out of your book as, as soon as you get it without reading it. Or at least be prepared to take a shower afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a shower in some sort of lye, bleach, and hot water solution. Scrub it away. You, you will never be clean, and neither are we. And that's the sacrifice we make for you, our listeners. You're duly warned. Um, yeah, so he, he's kind of... Uh, oh, he's 30, living at home, writing in his big chief pads. Having his visions of grandeur, bossing his mom around. His alcoholic mother who keeps a bottle of Muscatel in the oven, which I've decided to do myself um, with very little success <laughs> in that I also have made a pizza in the oven and sufficiently cracked the bottle so it's no longer useful. Um, the I guess the the grand plot of the book is that he goes looking for work. He's forced to go looking for forced work. Forced to go looking for work and says that it will be disastrous, and indeed it is. Um, but he starts to find it enjoyable and that he can chronicle it and make it a sort of adventure. Kind um, of a Don Quixote, sort of a Cervantes type thing? Yeah. He thinks it's like a political ambush upon the world that he's going to show the world the errors of their ways, but... From the outside, it's it's ludicrous and hilarious, right? And and he portrays all these different characters in a very sort of scenic, picturesque kind of way, mm. where he meets all these different slices of life, I guess, um, that are difficult to kind of really see as satire now because the characters are so caricatured, mm -hmm. and they're all dislikable. Yeah, there's not there's like two <laughs> likable characters, maybe. Yeah, I think that Jones is a likable character because he seems to only he seems to be the only person who has some kind of like agency, like a plan. He sees the wrong that is forced upon him as like a black man in right. New Orleans. He, he's the the one African American character mm -hmm. who is forced to take a job at basically a strip club in mm -hmm. order to avoid a charge of vagrancy. And he figures out a way to sabotage his job. Um, so he has some kind of agency that's entertaining and and like makes you kind of side with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's yeah one of the few characters that you want to have actually like what he wants to have happen. You want to have it happen too. And who do you think else is likable? Mm, Mancuso, who's a, a very inept policeman, just because he he can he can't do any active harm to anybody. He's likable in like a pitying way, like. Well, I'd, I'd like to consider myself likable in the same sort of way. <laughs> um, Dorian might also be likable. He's who's this that? flamboyant gay man who hosts a big party. Um, that that 
Ignatius thinks is a political rally and and Dorian sees it as just like a necessary thing for the community to relax because it's a tense time and they have to create avenues for themselves to be together as a community in a safe space. Which, that, that seems noble. Mm-hmm. I think the, the difficulty is like with Jones or with... Um, with Dorian or with any of the characters that are all portrayed in this really like one dimensional sort of TV sort of the stereotypes, like they're, they're what you expect of those kind of characters. It's like a sitcom. It, it, yeah, it really does feel like a sitcom or like one of the sort of um, late sixties comedies with like Peter Sellers or something in it. They're like, Oh, this is comedy about the hippies, like the, <laughs> the party or whatever. And everyone is just this one dimensional kind of character. And sometimes that works, like in the producers or like Blazing Saddles, like they play with those characters and it works. But here you, I mean, it just feels weirdly dated, I guess. It's funny, but you feel old laughing at it. <laughs> like I, I, I'm wondering, and maybe maybe if, if we had actually prepared for this, <laughs> we had done some research and like, do people read this book still? Or is it people, Oh yeah, like, you know, the generation below us, I guess, the millen- the millenniums, do they still consider this like funny? Or is it just, do you have to know those tropes? Okay, can we, like the millennials, like why is everyone throwing this around as though, oh. A millennial is anyone younger than yeah, you. Yeah, anyone who you and think And as like... someone who's intensely old, like, you're a millennial, <laughs> as far as I know. We're like, we need an opinion outside of our own from someone slightly younger than me. That's the millennial. So a 37-year-old from Cleveland, Ohio, what do you think of this? <laughs> yeah, I think it's still really popular. I is mean, it? Okay. It still sells well in so i bought my copy when i was traveling in savannah georgia i went oh, nice one. to a bookshop called the book lady and it was like out front face on the bookshelf and and i i picked it up and took it to the counter and the clerk who was probably a millennial right because isn't everyone <laughs> <laughs> Everyone <laughs> under seventy is. He said that it was the owner's like favorite book, and it and it goes through there really quickly. Um, yeah, I th- I still think it has attention. But what do, what do you think? Like, what do you think causes that? Or like, where does where does that come from? Because oh, I, I don't selling. think. Yeah, it's definitely like readers recommending it to other readers. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder because I don't think in either like we read this book twice and and we're like yeah it's okay. It's okay. Oh, it's but, hilarious. But it, I, I guess... I, okay, so we were talking earlier today that it was... Tool tried to sell the novel in his life and it was rejected. Or at least it was sent back for revision right. several times. And, and, and it was given good feedback from, you know, like Robert Gottlieb was the editor, I think. And, uh, but he never got it published. Yeah, yeah, never made it all the way out. And supposedly the criticism was it doesn't have enough direction or there isn't like a, a point like that we can hold on to. A purpose. We, yeah. And so I see that. Like it's it's just kind of a romp. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's fun characters. And it is like watching like a good like TV movie. It's like watching the Cannonball Run or something. So I, so I guess it is... 
confusing to think why does it last if it if it doesn't have some larger message that we can hold on to but I also wonder if it's because this thing cycles around the fact that Confederacy of Dunces has become a hashtag yeah, yeah. to talk about the debacle of the current election isn't totally off right right and out of nowhere and 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 in some ways like Ignatius Riley represents like a huge population He's on the huge. internet I mean, he is literally physically huge, but the oh, character yeah. that he is, like, he's essentially like the first troll. He's like OG troll. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh God, because he just like makes my skin crawl. He enjoys so much things being bad. Yeah. Like he loves making fun of things. He loves seeing himself as the one person who knows what's right. And he and takes that's, that's every comment section on everything. That that is our culture. Yeah, right he now. takes pleasure in the things that he finds inane. He goes to the cinema to watch teen like, like beach movies. beach movies yeah. and then just like just relishes the the displeasure. Like how bad it is. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, that's that that costume director has angered me before. Oh yeah, the original internet troll. Just that person who will just stalk everything and tell you what's wrong and incorrect and despicable. And now instead of filling our big chief notebooks, like people are like, you know, like comment after comment on Twitter or on YouTube or whatever. like From their dirty sheets and their room their mother's basement and, and apparently hacking like uh, i guess the democratic servers instead of russia it's some four hundred pound person in their bedroom it was ignatius riley he did yep. it he's behind it all yep yep i think he is the cause of all of trump's problems or everyone's everyone's, everyone's problems, problems. Yeah. but there is something prescient about that idea of like mm -hmm. everyone is stupid but me because that feels like the world that we live in in a lot of ways like everyone has their own worldview and no one has the ability to empathize or, or be sympathetic or be open to the idea that someone else is living in a different way than you and like and has an experience that you don't have that you might benefit from. Like he feels closed off in a way that a lot of people are closed off now. I mean, and maybe maybe I can include myself in that, you know, in, in some ways. It's a lot easier to become insular mm -hmm. when you have so much bombarding you now. So that's why, even though it's like a Marcus Brothers farce the whole time, it still lasts. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why it sticks around because people kind of do feel that resonance of, of, of that feeling of isolation. Like everyone's in their bedrooms now. Everyone's sort of like interacting with each other in these really like narrow ways. And, and, and I think throughout the book, like no one really does, except in some very small ways, um, no one helps each other. No, I, I mean, there's the characters, um, Mr. and Mrs. Levy. So Mr. Levy owns the pant company that Ignatius Riley <laughs> sabotages. In, in, in air quotes, works for. Yeah, works for. That's hilarious. One of my favorite characters works with him, Miss Trixie. <laughs> who, has, who has very, very strong dentures. Yeah. Um, but his wife, um, Mr. Levy's wife, Who's, I don't think ever given a name. She's just Mrs. Levy. <laughs> She's, yeah, Mrs. Levy with the exercise board. Who's just like a caricature of the harpy wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, she, air quotes, helps Miss Trixie. But everyone's just sort of like an experiment in like boredom. Like, I just want something to do. And so I help someone. Right. 
Yeah. And I think Jones has um, an idea to help Darlene, who's like one of the, the, the women who work at this strip club who wants to become a dancer. And he, I think maybe for his own agenda or maybe just because he does feel some he compassion for her. her yeah. Encourages her. But I, I can't think of any other example of someone... Who helps someone yeah, else. Yeah, who generally wants something nice for someone else. And then Ignatius's mother at the end, you know, kind of goes into this rant about how Ignatius learned everything but to be a human being. And she mm -hmm. just wants someone to be nice to her before she dies. Um, all she wants is for someone to be kind to her. And, and in some ways, is, is, is kind of one-dimensional as her character has been, there is some feeling there. Or there is something that, like... But behind that also is Ignatius's comment in reply to his mother that says, you won't... You wouldn't be able to handle someone being nice to you. It's not your lot in life. It would throw basically throw you into a tailspin that... We're all masochists. We all we all want this. Yeah, that and we don't deserve anything. Somehow better. we thrive on this conflict with one another. Yeah, yeah. And and does that fit into like his whole worldview, which is very medieval, medievalist and based on I can never pronounce this. What's the name of the philosopher? Oh, Bothius. Bocephus. No. <laughs> the great philosopher Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> um, the Consolation of Philosophy. That's that's a book that he's carrying around, that, and he yeah. gives gives out to people, or he gives out to the stripper, mm -hmm. I think, or and Jones ends up reading it. No, he gives it Does to he? the police officer. That's right. So make, and it gets stolen out of the it. men's bathroom. Oh, that's... it's very complicated, <laughs> and ends up in pornography. There are many complicated subplots involving uh, hanging out in a men's bathroom in a bus station and pornography and people who draw daggers on their hands. And you have to read the book to cart? find out. Yeah. And the immortal phrase, hot dogs, ladies. <laughs> Actually, maybe this book is better than I thought it was. <laughs> I'm enjoying talking about it. So it must have something going on. I think I think that is a, we decided that's the general trend of our, our thought about books. This is terrible. <laughs> Bowie like this? Oh, this is great. <laughs> or this is terrible. Oh, we've had a couple of drinks. This, this is, is great. great. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that is more like it. Yeah. That's probably more where we're coming from. Okay. Great transition, Greg. Thank you. Why did Bowie like this book? Fuck if I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 okay. Why did he like this? And, and, Apart from the way other people liked it, like what particularly drew him about it? I mean, one thought we had was that it would be a really excellent clown performance. Like the whole book could be such a fascinating clown because performance. Because it's a farce, yeah. yeah. And so maybe it was his theatrical side that saw like the vision of, of the ludicrous and social, like, de-evolution and that was entertaining and as as a performer and an artist and and i think it does have like um it does have the feel of new orleans or it does mm. really it really does exist in that in that place so there there is something about that too which might have been might have drawn him yeah i there's something so kind of Ironic, I guess, or am I using that in like the Alanis Morissette sense? I don't know. It's like um, having a fork when you need a spoon, I think. 
There's some. There's a fly in my drink. Um, it's just bad resource allocation. <laughs> the author sound his biography as much as we know sounds uncannily like Ignatius Riley. Um, he was a 30 year old man living, you know, under the thumb of his mother, his domineering mother. Yeah, yeah. and he 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 was depressed with the world and disillusioned by everything that was going on and ultimately chose to depart from it. Um, and so it's, it's so interesting that he has like a statue up in uh, New Orleans. Like, like he's a hero. Yeah. That would he have thought that that would happen? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's that sadness of like, you know, like he didn't get to see that happen. Um, but yeah. What, what would he have felt about it? To be suddenly a hero. Yep. And I think that is a, it's a great transition, Christian. Why, thanks, Greg. Because the, uh, the song we picked for this, this episode is the song, uh, my favorite Bowie song, I think, Heroes, um, which, uh, which we picked partially because there's a great video of the Arcade Fire doing uh, like a second line march in, New Orleans and playing this song among among other songs after Bowie's death uh, after Bowie's death is like a tribute to Bowie yeah. and it is it is beautiful it's like you know really well done um so we'll post a video for that in the in the show notes and and we'll actually fade out on it here in a minute um but yeah yeah I think the idea I, I think part you know in some ways too like the book kind of does end on that um sort of semi-uplifting note not tar- entirely uplifting note that the song kind of takes. Yeah, but there is this this culmination at the end of the book yeah. where sort of everything... This is the other part that makes it feel a bit sitcom-like, that there's these flat characters destroying yeah. their lives, and then there's this moment at the end where it's, everything is reconciled and everything in, in becomes... In minute, minute 23, like, everything's back to normal. Head to commercial. <laughs> and And so they all have this success moment this if not heroic moment where things go right um even though the the moment for ignatius is one of the most disturbing images which i will read now he stared gratefully at the back of myrna's head at the pigtail that swung innocently at his knee gratefully how ironic ignatius thought taking the pigtail in one of his paws he pressed it warmly to his wet mustache. Ugh. Actually, I really do like this book. <laughs> just for the visual, visceral feelings it arouses in me. He's so gross. Everything to describe him is like wet and Pawing. sweaty and discolored yellow. And, so the other song we were going to pick was Scary Monsters. Right, for that reason. For that, for that reason. Maybe I'll link to that too. <laughs> Love them both. <laughs> yeah, second time. Yeah, and um, I I enjoyed reading it again. I think me too. Uh, e- even though it, it it there's a flatness to it that I still can't kind of get my head around. There are some funny bits to it. It was great for me to pick up when I was in Savannah and read in the heat, and then the yeah. air- airplane back, and yeah, it was just what I needed. So what do we got coming up next? Next we have. Oh, this is a tough one. Yeah, so the first title was All the Emperor's Horses. 
And while looking for that, I came up with not a thing, except mention that that title no longer exists and the book was renamed The Peking Story and it's by David Kidd, a book I've never heard of and yet we, again. We have literally no idea what's going to happen. So all. we're kind of out of the frying pan and into another one that's filled with frying pans. Yeah, we're going to just jump into frying pans. Yep. So uh, in about a month or so, you'll get to witness us clattering around, In jumping pans. into very various frying pans. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening. Um, uh, if you want to catch us on the internet, um, there are like... All four, the social medias. All, all, the, all the various social medias. Uh, <laughs> we're on the Twitters at the Bowie Book, Book Pod. Pod. Uh, faces book, <laughs> the faces, the book of faces. The book of faces. <laughs> we are the Bowie Book Club. Uh, I think we there's the tumbling, the tumbling <laughs> place, and then of course on the web, uh, the bowiebookclub.com. And if you want to hear some relaxing music, uh, I've also started a podcast of uh, soothing ambient music that I make to fall asleep called Too Tired to Say Anything. Also really great for long airplane rides. Yep, also good for long airplane rides or uh, very short airplane rides. Uh, Too Tired to Say Anything uh, dot com. And we'll be back next month. Yep. Thank you. I've been Christiane. Uh, Oh, I've also been Greg. (laughs) And we will continue to be so. Yes, hopefully next month. (laughs) Bye. Bye. I can't believe we forget all of our social media. What we're really trying to get at here. (laughs) David Bowie is the greatest human being ever. And the books he chose are wonderful. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's really our whole point. That's the whole point. Yeah. (laughs)